Hey everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions, and also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Networks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And it's also brought to you, of course, by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Administrators got a nasty surprise when the clock struck midnight on New Year's Day. In what is being called the Y2K22 bug, admins started seeing a lengthy error that contained the words can't convert. MSPowerUser.com reported that the bug is due to Microsoft using the first two numbers of the update version to denote the year of the update, which caused the long version of the date to overflow. Essentially, it couldn't handle the date format once we got into 2022, and this prevented Microsoft Exchange from working correctly, causing email headaches for employees. Microsoft released a script to help fix the issue, as they said a fix that would require no admin interaction at all would have taken longer to get out there. The script automates a series of steps that includes removing the existing engine and metadata, updating to a new version of the engine, and then verifying the engine update information. Microsoft have stated that after updating the engine, they also recommend that you verify the mail flow is working and that FIPFS or FIPS <laughs> error events are not present in the application event log anymore. Apache have released another log4j version. This version is 2.17.1 and it fixes a newly discovered remote code execution vulnerability that was present in version 2.17.0 and this vulnerability is now being tracked separately as CVE-2021-44832. This one is rated moderate in severity and assigned a 6.6 score so obviously not as critical or severe as the original log4j vulnerability. It stated that an attacker with permission to modify the logging configuration file could construct a malicious configuration using a JDBC appender with the data source referencing a JNDI URI, which can then execute remote code. There was a lot of debate online about what many felt was a premature disclosure of this vulnerability. Certainly admins were probably exhausted having to worry about more patching just before Christmas. And a little bit more about Log4j, CrowdStrike released a free tool that can quickly scan systems looking for versions of the Log4j code libraries to help organizations understand what they need to patch in order to mitigate the risk. In general, about the vulnerability or the existing vulnerabilities for Log4j, it's kind of been an odd one, at least in my opinion. A couple of episodes ago, I'd reported that the activity in terms of attacks through the vulnerability seemed relatively low, though the Conte ransomware cyber gang were said to be launching ransomware attacks via the vulnerability in VMware vCenter. 
as of this recording, this continues to be the case, which is at least surprising to me, but others who actually work in InfoSec don't seem all that surprised that the activity is somewhat low. I'm unsure why. One victim of a ransomware attack that's potentially linked to the Log4j vulnerability is Shutterfly, who got hit with a pretty bad ransomware attack in terms of timing for them, as it was just two weeks before the holidays, which would be a pretty busy period given what they do. IGEL released a patched version to address the Log4j vulnerability in their product. And as stated on this podcast, Log4j is used by so many different products that it is worth scanning your environment and or consulting with all the app vendors' security advisories to ensure that you have fully patched your environment. Another problem that crept up just before the holidays was a Dell BIOS update that prevented several different types of Dell devices from booting up, including Dell Latitude laptops, 5320 and 5520s, as well as Dell Inspiron 5680 and Alienware Aurora R8 desktops. The devices attempt to power on, but go into a blue screen of death spiral, just constantly rebooting back into blue screen of death, rebooting again into another blue screen of death and so on. If you're experiencing this issue, it is best to downgrade your BIOS and wait for a fix to be issued before attempting again. LeapyComputer.com reports that it is also important to mention that laptops impacted by this issue might still have boot problems until you disconnect the battery, push the power button for 15 seconds, and plug it back in the battery and charger before powering up again. However, you also have the option to try Dell's official guidance on how to downgrade the system BIOS, fix a computer not booting up, troubleshoot post issues, and solve boot issues using support assist OS recovery. And some people online on Twitter have some examples, short videos, and GIFs of doing just that. And when it rains, it pours. Just before Christmas, AWS suffered another major service disruption, with many popular sites such as Coinbase, Hulu, Amazon, Slack, and more affected. The problem in this case appeared to affect things like file uploads, with users reporting an inability to do things like send files in Slack. The most recent status update at the time of this recording stated, quote, we can confirm a loss of power within a single data center within a single availability zone, USE1-AZ4 for the availability zone, and that was in the US East 1 region. They want to say this is affecting availability and connectivity to EC2 instances that are part of the affected data center within the affected availability zone. Connectivity and power to other data centers within the affected availability zone or other availability zones within the U.S. East 1 region are not affected by this issue, but they would recommend failing away from the affected availability zone if you were able to do so. So it kind of seems like that one availability zone was a bad actor and caused problems for a lot of different customers. And by reading this, it seems like it's potentially a power issue, or was. At the time of this recording, it also seems that this is no longer an issue for customers. Password manager LastPass was subject to a credential stuffing attempt recently, which is essentially attackers using combinations of email addresses and passwords from previous security breaches of potentially other products and services, hoping to find a match and get access to someone's passwords. This raised eyebrows with some pointing that this is the problem with having password managers. One breach gets hackers potential access to all of the passwords a person uses. 
From where I stand, I feel like LastPass did a pretty good job in this. They detected attempts to log into accounts and warned users of attempted login attempts from different regions or countries to give them a heads up and a chance to change their passwords and or enable MFA if they hadn't already. To me, it was just a reminder that you should make sure your password, your master password for LastPass is unique. Don't just reuse a password for it. Also ensure you enable multi-factor authentication. LastPass supports a lot of different types of MFA. Though some did point that the use of a master password at all is a security weakness, which may be a fair critique. BeepaComputer.com reported that some customers have been reporting that ch after changing their master passwords, they received another alert warning of a login attempt after the password was changed. And to make things worse, customers who tried disabling and deleting their LastPass accounts entirely after receiving warnings were faced with an error saying something went wrong and essentially the account didn't delete. LastPass have issued a statement saying, We quickly work to investigate this activity and at this time we have no indication that any LastPass accounts were compromised by an unauthorized third party as a result of this credential stuffing. Nor have we found any indication that users' LastPass credentials were harvested by malware, rogue browser extensions, or phishing campaigns. However, out of an abundance of caution, we continue to investigate in an effort to determine what was causing the automated security alert emails to be triggered from our systems. Our investigation has since found that some of these security alerts, which were sent to a limited subset of LastPass users, were likely triggered in error. As a result, we have adjusted our security alert systems and the issue has since been resolved. These alerts were triggered due to LastPass's ongoing efforts to defend its customers from bad actors and credential stuffing attempts. It is also important to reiterate that LastPass's zero-knowledge security model means that at no time does LastPass store, have knowledge of, or have access to a user's master password. We will continue to regularly monitor for unusual or malicious activity and will, as necessary, continue to take steps designed to ensure that LastPass, its users, and their data remain protected and secure. So like I said, I think they did a pretty good job of how they handled it. And of course, if you're using LastPass, be sure to enable MFA. And like I said, ensure you use a unique master password. Recently, Ben Whitmore pointed out that the release notes for version 2.0.89.0 of Microsoft's Azure AD Connect state that, quote, we fixed a bug in version 2.0.88.0 where under certain conditions, linked mailboxes of disabled users and mailboxes of certain resource objects were getting deleted. Ben says, keep an eye on this one, and I'd agree, it sounds like that could be potentially very dangerous. Scott Piper warned that worryingly the AWS support service role policy got S3 colon get object. That role is supposed to only have metadata visibility, access or permissions. That role is supposed to only have metadata visibility. There was some uproar over the change and it appears to get reverted after about 21 hours, but some were very unhappy that this change occurred at all. It'd be interesting to see if there's going to be any comment on this from AWS. But I guess at least they were quick to revert the change. 
The Hacker News reported that a short-lived phishing campaign has been observed taking advantage of a novel exploit that bypassed a patch put in place by Microsoft to fix a remote code execution vulnerability affecting the MS HTML component with the goal of delivering form book malware. The new campaign discovered by Sophos aims to get around the patch's protection by morphing a publicly available proof-of-concept office exploit and weaponizing it to distribute form book malware. The cybersecurity firm said the success of the attack can in part be attributed to a too narrowly focused patch. In the initial version of the vulnerability that I covered previously on the podcast, Microsoft's cabfiles.cab files were being used for delivering malware payload. And it said that when Microsoft patched to close that loophole, attackers discovered that they could use a different attack chain altogether by enclosing the maldoc in a specially crafted RAR archive. So another compressed file format. This exploit was addressed with security updates that were released in September 2021. So ensure you're on the latest patches, including those September 2021 patches to protect against this. Software vendor Sage have acquired BrightPearl, who are a UK-based startup in cloud retail management. The deal is said to be worth $340 million. BrightPearl provides a SaaS-based retail operating system enabling real-time business insight. And Sage already owned about 17% of BrightPearl. TechCrunch.com reported comments from Steve Hare, who's the CEO of Sage, who said, quote, Sage's purpose is to knock down barriers so everyone can thrive. Together, Sage and BrightPearl will remove the barriers that hold back retailers and wholesalers, streamlining their systems and enabling them to focus on growth. I'm delighted to welcome BrightPearl, its management team, and colleagues to Sage, and look forward to executing on our strategic priorities together and delivering accelerated growth. In a fun but somewhat twisted Christmassy tech story, the recently released Fisher-Price Chatter Phone with Bluetooth capabilities for use as a speakerphone has a worrying security flaw. TechCrunch.com reports that Ken Munro, founder of the cybersecurity company Pentest Partners, pointed out that the toy does not have a secure pairing process to stop unauthorized phones in Bluetooth range from connecting to it leaving it vulnerable to eavesdropping by a nosy neighbor or attacker. It is said the toy is in limited offering, though, so it's not too likely to be a major security concern. Or at least I hope. Microsoft's acquisition of Nuance, who make the very popular Dragon Dictation software, has been completed. I reported the acquisition many months ago, but it took some time for the deal to get cleared. I'm interested to see what they will do with it. Will it be used as a foundation for a new Cortana that handles general dictation in Windows or something else? Let's keep our eyes peeled. If you have an Android or Windows device and you would like to use someone's FaceTime for a call with FaceTime links in iOS 15 and macOS Monterey, anyone can now join a FaceTime call from a web browser. I haven't tried it, but it is a good thing that Apple are finally embracing connecting with those using non-Apple devices. It took a long time. In another quick hit story, Microsoft have released a new security baseline for Windows 365. 
And another quick hit, Adobe have announced Project Shasta, which will use artificial intelligence to transcribe audio. Users can then edit the text in the transcription, which then in turn will also then edit the actual audio. I am for sure going to try this out for the podcast. This could be an amazing time saver for me. If I just say something like edit in an episode, maybe I'll be able to search the text for edit and then just delete that sentence and hopefully I'll be golden then. Here's hoping. ZDNet recently reported that DuckDuckGo is working on building its own browser. This won't be based on Chromium, the open source project underpinning Google Chrome, Microsoft Edge, Brave, and over 30 other browsers. They've stated that instead of forking Chromium or anything else, they're building a desktop app around the operating system provided rendering engines, like on a mobile phone, allowing them to strip away a lot of the unnecessary cruft and clutter that's accumulated over the years in major browsers. DuckDuckGo CEO Gabriel Weinberg made a big statement claiming, quote, compared to Chrome, the DuckDuckGo app for desktop is cleaner, way more private, and early tests have found it is significantly faster too, end quote. So I guess another thing we've got to keep our eyes peeled for, and if you don't want to miss it, be sure to just listen to the episodes of this podcast because I'm sure I'll talk about it. There was a pretty crazy story reported by Reuters. U.S. officials have asked the major communication companies to delay 5G expansion over concerns for aviation safety. It reads that the concerns are with 5G's greater range and that it could pose a threat to some airline communication equipment via interference. Now, the delay is only a two-week delay, and there seems to be a pissing contest between the airlines and the communication companies, with communication companies claiming that the ask for the delay is part of a play by the airlines to get funding to replace some of their old altimeters that could be susceptible to the interference. House Transportation Committee Chair in the U.S., Peter DeFazio, has backed the airline group petition warning that we cannot afford to experiment with aviation safety. Honestly, I don't really get this story. 5G has been rolled out relatively widely around Europe already, and it clearly hasn't posed any problems there. I don't know, is there a different standard in aviation that the US is slower to update these altimeters and Europe didn't have that problem? I mean, that. I mean, if that's the case, that's also pretty worrying from an aviation safety standpoint in the US, but I doubt it. I'd imagine the U.S. has invested just as much as Europe, if not more, in aviation safety. I mean, the NTSB assists in investigations worldwide, so I can't see why the U.S. wouldn't be leading there. But who knows? I just don't know enough. I just thought it was a very interesting and concerning story. Another quick hit story here, but Windows Central have reported that Microsoft Teams recently added support for end-to-end encryption for calls. If you'd like to try this yourself or enable in your organization, it has to be enabled by administrators within organizations via the E2EE setting. And finally, in this week's news, the Metropolitan Police Department in Tokyo lost two floppy disks containing personal information on 38 people. 
The police department said the floppy disks contained personal data only on 38 people who had applied for public housing in Tokyo's Megaro ward. The ward office had provided the personal information to the MPD to check if the applicants were affiliated with organized crime groups. Police said no leaks or misuse of the information have been confirmed at this point, and they feel that they may have accidentally discarded the floppy disks. The police division had commented, quote, We are very sorry to the 38 people and sincerely apologize. We will provide thorough guidance on the handling of personal information and strive to prevent a recurrence. End quote. I mean, the most shocking thing here is the fact that they're still using floppy disks. That's a process crying out for an upgrade. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Jen Gentleman shared that in Windows 11, there is now a keyboard shortcut for the copy as paste feature in Windows. It's Control, Shift, and C. Martin Pedolt is back again with a couple of really good Windows 365 bits of content. First, a blog on Windows 365 custom image management that allows you to continuously reuse and update the same image. And second was a post on getting started with Windows 365 and PowerShell, and specifically leveraging Microsoft Graph for your automation purposes. GoEUC shared some performance analysis on the latest Citrix virtual apps and desktops that is definitely worth a read. It seems some recent enhancements have made a really big difference for performance, so check out the results for yourself, and I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 211, and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com, along with everything that I've talked about on this episode under reference links for episode 211. Katie Nicholson has started to share a blog series on getting started with AVD with the first post already live. So follow along now to make sure that you don't miss out. And also, Katie has also shared a project for creating short links for sharing content online via Twitter or wherever you feel space matters or even just if you want to simplify a URL. This is something I'm definitely going to jump into as it's something I wanted to do for quite a while now. I just haven't uh, put the time into it. Stefan Turan shared a blog on creating isolated dedicated networks with Unify. So if you use Unify for your home network or even your enterprise network, you want to check out this blog to see how you could create isolated networks. Michael Nihas has started a series on what's new on Windows 11. So another one you should probably follow and just read all the parts as they're published. And finally, Marius Sanbu has been compiling a list of ransomware protections that he recommends for 2021, and I'm sure applies beyond 2021 as well. Well, that's it for this episode. As stated on the last episode, right around now is the fourth anniversary of the podcast, so thank you all for listening and continuing to listen each week. I appreciate the support. The audio quality might be a little bit different as I'm traveling at the moment. I'm using a different microphone. Hopefully it's passable and I should be back to my regular microphone and audio next week. Thanks everyone and catch you next week.